From the Kentucky frontier to the windy city of Chicago, Dominican women religious have changed the face of our nation, founding schools, hospitals, orphanages, farms, and more. Join the Dominican Sisters of Peace to celebrate 200 years of Dominican women religious serving God's people in the United States. For details on the celebration, visit OPPeace.org. Welcome to Inside the Vatican with America Media. Each week, veteran Vatican reporter Gerard O'Connell and I take you behind the headlines for an intergenerational conversation about the biggest stories out of the Vatican. On the Solemnity of St. Joseph, Pope Francis promulgated the new apostolic constitution on the Roman Curia, entitled Predicate Evangelium. Pope Francis has finally released his new constitution for the Roman Curia, a reform he's been working on for nine years. After nine years of work, the Vatican presented the reform of the Curia. The new constitution establishes that any member of the faithful can preside over a dicastery. We'll break down the big changes and what they mean for the future of the church. I'm Colleen Dully. This is Inside the Vatican. Good morning from New Orleans, Jerry. Good afternoon from a sunny but rather breezy Rome, Colleen. Jerry, we had a busy weekend. On Saturday the 19th, the Vatican published the new 54-page constitution for the Roman Curia called Predicate Evangelium, or Preach the Gospel, unexpectedly and with no fanfare. So we got kind of a surprise this weekend. But we've been waiting for this document to come out for nine years. It was something that the cardinal electors in the last conclave really wanted the next pope to focus on. Before we get into this, I want to talk about what is the Curia? What do our listeners need to understand about it? Well, the Curia is the Pope's civil service. It's a body of about 3,000 people who work to help the Pope in his ministry as Bishop of Rome, as pastor of the Universal Church, and in his relations with states. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's quite a broad mandate. One way I find helpful to think about this is that the Curia is kind of the Vatican offices that do the church stuff, and then the governatorate, which is the fancy word for kind of the Vatican city-state government, is the other part of what the central offices of the Vatican do. So here we're talking about the church stuff. And Jerry, it was also really important to make this reform because the last time this kind of reshuffling of the Vatican's organizational chart happened was in 1988. And a lot has changed since then. We've seen the sex abuse crisis, which has lost the church's credibility, and we've seen membership declining. We've seen vocation to the priesthood and religious life going way down. And more than ever, lay people are very needed to fill in leadership roles. And so this new constitution that came out is Pope Francis's response to that. He's made evangelization the Vatican's top office to respond to these issues, and he's placed it above the doctrine office, which is really, really big. He's also said that any baptized Catholic can lead a Vatican office, and he's made the protection of minors a permanent part of the church's discipline office. So we'll go through each of those topics one by one, but first I want to get a sense of what a Curia constitution is and what it does. Why does this matter so much? How, How is a document like this used? Well, it's the framework, the charter for the operation, how the actual Roman Curia works. That's the civil service of the Pope. So it really delineates very clearly what are the priority tasks, where the division of labor is, who is responsible, what needs to be carried out by the different operators, and who works there. It was also sort of overall equalizing, right? Because 
it took all these different congregations, like the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith that we always talk about, and these pontifical councils and dicasteries, and it, it kind of flattened them all into just, we just have 16 dicasteries now, and they've been sort of streamlined and simplified. Like in any government, you will have ministries. You will have uh, different officers to deal with different aspects of the life of the government. It's the same in the church. Here in, in the Vatican, you have a number of different officers. Each has its own independent remit, but it's also linked to all the other officers. So the purpose of this new document was to get them to greater coordination, greater cohesion within the Vatican, and better communication between the different officers. So Francis set out to kind of give the direction for the central office of the church for the coming decades. Right. And laying out that direction is the main thing in this. The direction that the Pope wants the Vatican to go in is emphasized very, very strongly. He wants the focus to be evangelization, which is the church's basic mission to spread the gospel. This is the top priority of this constitution. And Accordingly, the Pope has made the new Dicastery for the Evangelization of Peoples the Vatican's top office, so replacing the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith, as it used to be called, uh, as the Vatican's top office. What does doing that reorganization mean practically for how the Church works? Yes, for Colin, for our listeners who might know this word Dicastery, it's popular in the French and Spanish language and Italian to an extent. It's a more secular term. It's not a religious term. So Francis is trying to move away from clericalism, first of all, from a clerical language. So he's given this, it doesn't come across so well in English, really. Yeah. But we'd call it department or ministry. So what's he trying to do? He's putting the top priority for all these different Vatican offices. There are 16 main Vatican offices. Is to preach the gospel, to communicate the gospel in the different areas in which they work. I wonder what this change means for regular Catholics, though. Like your average person who's listening to the show, who goes to church on Sundays, you know, are, are they going to notice a difference from this reordering of the Vatican's top priorities? Yes, I, I think over time, because, you know, how Rome is structured often is modeled in local dioceses. Mm hmm. And so what Francis is doing by reframing, reshaping Rome is also offering a model to the church worldwide. And this is a much more radical change than people will grasp at a first listening or reading. And Francis says, you know, he worked as, as a priest, uh, provincial of Jesuits. He worked as a bishop then as a bishop of a very large diocese, 12 million people in the city. And he saw that we don't want more kind of legalistic approaches to life. We really want something that will energize people, make people understand the simplicity of the gospel. And this is exactly what Francis is doing by putting evangelization at the top. He says, the gospel is easy for people to understand if it's presented well. Yeah, I was also really interested in kind of the image of evangelization or the vision for evangelization that's laid out in this constitution, because 
you know, when I think of church documents about evangelization, it's usually things about, you know, Catholicism is like the one true religion and this is about winning over converts and so on. You don't find any of that in this document. Instead, it's it follows what Pope Francis said in his first programmatic document about his papacy back in 2013. He says, it's not by proselytizing that the church grows, but by attraction. And this whole document is about how do we attract people? Absolutely, Colleen, because he's starting from the point that we're all God's children. Whether you have a religion, don't have a religion, whether you're Muslim, Buddhist, etc., we're, first of all, all God's children, and God loves us all. And it says that exactly in the uh, in the section on interreligious dialogue. It says that that office's main goal is to foster a genuine encounter with God, no matter what religion you're coming from. Yes, and he says we go from our own starting point. We don't bury that. We don't cover it up. But our own starting point is that God loves us all, that we're all there, and that then God wants us to be part of this people, which we call the church. I would say in a, in a line, uh, Colleen, Francis is simplifying again the Christian message so that the person who has no education or the person who has the highest education, the super degrees, they can all grasp this thing. I remember very well when he was in Buenos Aires. He used to like talking to children at Mass. And when there would be a lot of children in the church, he would just speak to the children. And he said, if I talk to the children and they can understand me, then the rest of the people will begin to listen in. And that's, I think, what he's trying to do here with the courier. He's trying to say, our message is simple. Let's not confuse it. So, But let's get it out front, not behind barriers. Right. The kind of vision of simplifying and focusing on communicating the simplicity of the good news of the gospel is now being kind of codified in two structures here. And it's also informing all of the other changes that we're going to talk about. So, you know, Pope Francis knows that in order to attract people to the faith, the church has to be credible. It needs to move away from clericalism. So we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll analyze how this constitution opens up top leadership positions to lay people, including women. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Another big change in this constitution for the Curia is that it says any member of the faithful may preside over a department or body given their particular competence, power, and governance or function. And Jerry, there were some questions when this first came out about what this means. Does this mean that you can have a layperson leading a dicastery? Does it mean they could lead all dicasteries? Which ones are we talking about? And you watched a press conference that happened at the Vatican on Monday, March 21st, where they discussed this, where journalists got to ask a few more questions. 
Was there any clarification here about what positions lay people can hold according to this document? Yes, there was one very important clarification. There's been a lot of discussion down the centuries, really, especially this century, who is entitled to govern in the church. And Francis has made very clear in this document that the power of governance is not linked to the sacraments of orders. You don't have to be ordained priest, deacon, or bishop to actually govern in the church. He says governance, the power of governance, comes from the mission, uh, the task, the mandate you get from the legitimate authority in the church. So in the Roman Curia, the, the power to govern, to be in charge of a Vatican office, as prefect or as secretary, that's the number one and two, comes directly from the Pope, not from the fact that you happen to be a cardinal or a bishop or a priest. The source of your authority to govern the Vatican Department comes directly from the mandate you get from the Pope. And that is really a major change from, for example, the framework that John Paul II had in 1988. Which was the last constitution, we should say which envisaged that the top positions, prefect, the number one position, secretary, number two position, were to be held by clerics, either cardinals or bishops or priests. Francis has now changed that. And that too is, is a major revolution in the church because it makes it possible for you as a woman, for me as a layman, to actually have a role in governance if the opportunity opened up. And this is this is partnered with the document saying really clearly that giving lay people power of governance and raising up lay women especially is a priority of some of these Vatican offices. So, you know, if, if they're going to put their money where their mouth is, then we should be seeing some appointments soon. Well, it will be interesting that, uh, I mean, Rome moves slowly. True. So you, ha you have to, to have, uh, I mean, Colleen, if you were to come and work in the Vatican in the morning, mm -hmm. for example, to head a Vatican office, mm -hmm. you would have to, you would not have a great salary. No, that's true. The Vatican is not set up well for lay employees. It's it, You'd have a pretty low salary. Mm -hmm. And we've seen some really highly qualified lay people working on a salary of maybe three, four thousand dollars. That's a month. I know someone who was offered a, a high-ranking position as a laywoman who was offered like $40,000 a year. And they were like, well, this is what the Cardinals get. And she was like, well, I have to pay rent. How am I supposed to do that? I don't get a free Vatican apartment. There are fringe benefits that they give you apartments if you have some of these top jobs. But still, it's it's not by company standards, if you wish, a great salary. Yeah. So there are more reforms that need to be made here. Now, there are some jobs, obviously, some positions, like the head of the Congregation of Bishops. It's difficult to see a layperson as head of that. But you could have several other departments in the Vatican where you could have laypeople. And this is totally consistent with his idea that we're all part of the people of God. We all have different roles, and those with certain skills can come in. And this, this is a major shift. As I said, this was unthinkable in 1988. Well, and this was also a surprise in this document, right? Like we knew a lot of the things that were going to be in here because a, a lot of it was codifying things that Pope Francis has already reformed, you know, kind of office by office or whatever. But we didn't expect this to be in here, right? No, we didn't expect it quite like that. And it's very interesting that he 
in the document, whereas in previous documents, it said the head of the office would be a cardinal. The number two will be a bishop. This is no longer in this charter. Right. That's huge. I think the more people read and analyze and reflect on the document, the more we'll understand. And of course, you know, some people have said this is revolutionary, but as I wrote in my article, uh, some people have told me that this really is, we're going back to earlier centuries in the church where this was possible. The last reform that we wanted to touch on was the protection of minors, which is obviously a huge issue for the church and a major thing that has changed since 1988. This constitution moves the Pontifical Council for the Protection of Minors into the discipline section of the Dicastery for the Doctrines of Faith. This sounds like a really you know niche bureaucratic change. I'm curious what impact that bureaucratic change has for victims. Colleen, I think it's important to see that when Francis set up the Pontifical Council for the protection of minors, uh, was it five or six years ago? It was seen almost like a Cinderella in the Vatican. What do you mean? It didn't have really real status. It wasn't in the Roman Curia. So it didn't have status as a structure. It was independent, and this was many people uh, consider this important. But it was trying to influence what happened inside from outside. Mm -hmm. You were outside, and you were trying to influence what was happening inside the house. By putting it inside in this very important, the number two, and what was for years, uh, centuries, the number one department of the Vatican, Francis is giving it a real insider role. Mm -hmm. It still keeps a certain independence, but it's got an insider role. And now it can demand that other departments of the Vatican, dicasteries we call them, mm -hmm. are also matching up to the standards that Francis has approved, the laws, that they're implementing the laws that Francis has approved for the protection of minors and the safeguarding of vulnerable people. Yeah, it, it almost seems like it gives it more of a permanence. But it gives it clout. Mm -hmm. it, it's part of the inside structure and in a big dicastery, which for years was the number one, which is now the number two, but which still is a very, very, is a heavyweight. And then he, he did the same with the, with the almoner which was absolutely Cinderella, the, the, the giving of charity, which really nobody considered it. And Francis has made it the number three department in the Vatican. So these two shifts are very significant. And that plus the evangelization, which we men mentioned earlier, you have a real kind of like directing, moving a ship in a different direction to which it was traveling. I think, you know, the bark of Peter is, uh, has got a different helmsman and it's uh, plotting a course which was not that of previous centuries. We have just a second before we have to go, but I want to ask you one last kind of insider question because I have gotten some messages from our listeners who are wondering about this. This document, as I mentioned earlier, was released with very little warning, only in Italian. Do we know why this happened this way? We don't know exactly, but one, I, I, there are some indicators. Francis has worked with it day and night for almost nine years. I don't think our listeners will have an idea of the amount of time. He's gone through it line by line, listened to. They voted on all the 
suggestions that were made and they voted in the Council of Cardinals, take this, not take this. And Francis finalized the whole thing. And I know when when you and I talk about what Francis is doing on his, quote, vacations, which are always working vacations, you've mentioned the last couple of summers that he's been working on this over the summer. Yes, absolutely. And I think he wanted it to come out on the Feast of St. Joseph. Because he's always, all his major problems, he's got a statue on his desk and he puts all his major problems, little pieces of paper under the statue and he prays to St. Joseph. And I think this has been really, it's been a major burden for him for nine years. If he knew it wanted to come out, he wanted it to come out on St. Joseph's Day. Why wouldn't they get everything ready? Well, I think it was waiting for the translations to get done. And the translations aren't ready. Do we know when to expect the English translation? God knows, that's it. <laughs> But I, I, I'm sure it will come before the 5th of June when this document comes into force. Jerry, our listeners can find a lot more analysis of this document at americamagazine.org. They can read our articles that are linked in the show notes. Uh, just for a sense of what's there, Jerry has an article that gives an overview of these reforms. I have one explaining how the reform draws on Vatican II. And then Jerry has another explaining this opening of leadership roles to lay people further. So whatever interests you, you can probably find a lot more about it in those articles. And Jerry, one last thing. We heard that Pope Francis spoke with President Zelensky of Ukraine again today. Any news on what was said? He said, we talked about humanitarian crisis, the fact that the humanitarian, that the corridors aren't working. We spoke about uh, the situation in Ukraine. And I inv- he invited the Pope to come to Kiev. Now, what you perhaps don't know is that subsequently journalists asked Cardinal Parolin. The Vatican Secretary of State. Well, w- will the Pope go? And he said, I wouldn't express an opinion because people here think that it's not beyond the bounds of possibility. All right, Jerry, thank you so much for talking with me about this complicated document that you and I got to weed through. I'm looking forward to covering how this gets implemented with you. Yes, we're going to have a lot to talk about on this document, but also that lots of things happening. As I said, the possibility of the Pope going to Kiev, the Pope going to Malta, the indigenous leaders from Canada coming on Saturday. So there's lots to come on the next issues. Yes. So stay tuned to Inside the Vatican for updates on all of that. All right, Jerry, we'll talk to you next week. Thank you. Inside the Vatican is a production of America Media. This week's episode was produced by Maggie Van Dorn and Ricardo Da Silva. Audio engineering by Kevin Christopher Robles. Production assistance from Kira Hanlon at America Media and Stefano Mayero at the Jesuit Curia in Rome. You can find in-depth and up-to-date Vatican coverage at americamagazine.org and follow us on Twitter at I-N-S-D-E Vatican Pod. That's inside without the second I, Vatican Pod. If you want to support our work here on Inside the Vatican, the best way to do that is by purchasing a digital subscription to America Magazine. You can do that at americamagazine.org slash subscribe. Thanks. For America Media with Gerard O'Connell, I'm your host and producer, Colleen Dully. We'll see you next time.